Come on, let's sing this together, family. Say you. Here's my worship. Sing it. Here's my worship. All of my worship. Receive my worship. All of my worship. Here's my worship. Here's my worship. All of my worship. All of my worship. Receive my worship. From the top, sing it. Say, You, Lord, You, Lord, You are worthy, and no one, no one can worship You for me. Worship You for me. Come on, has He done it? Great things for you. Hallelujah. Sing for all the, all the things You've done for me, and no one. Worship you for me. Now can we lift it up all over this place? Come on, say it. Here's my worship. All of my worship. Receive my worship. All of my worship. Come on, sing it. Here's my worship. Come on, sing this thing, and I will. And I will not be silent. I will always worship you. Come on, sing it, sing as long as I am breathing. As long as I am breathing, I will always. I will always my days. worship you. Come on, sing it. Sing as long as I am. As long as, long as, as I am breathing. I, am breathing. I will always worship. I will, I will Come on, sing right there. You. Hallelujah. Come on. And I will. And I will. 
receive my worship on the mouth of the my worship. Here's my worship. Here's my worship. I give it to you, Lord. All of my worship. Cause you're worthy of honor. Receive my worship. All of my worship, receive my worship, all of my worship, oh, here's my worship, all of my worship, receive my worship, all of my Worship. Come on, give it to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give it to him. Hallelujah. And this morning, the Lord has, has laid hands on a wonderful young man, uh, Brother Maxwood Analyst, to bring his word to us today. This young man has personally touched my life and has been a blessing to me. I and I admire him, I respect his writing abilities, he's a published author, and I pray that you, as you listen to him this morning, will be deeply blessed. I know that the Lord will use him mightily in your lives. Say a prayer for him as he brings the word of God to us this morning. Max? Good morning and happy Sabbath to everyone. Just want to thank Doc for uh, such an introduction. Just always a blessing to be able to be used by God, whether that is in a sort of communal way or personal way. It's always a blessing to be um, someone that God can use to impact others. And this morning, um, that's the same sort of approach that we want to take as we approach the word. Uh, just thanking God for giving me the opportunity to be a mouthpiece for him uh, once more. And we're not gonna spend too much time lollygagging. We're going to jump right into the word. Um, the title for our word this morning is God Surrendered. God Surrendered. And our uh, story is one that you're familiar with. It is that of Jacob. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I ask that you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 31. We are going to hop, skip around that chapter, end up in chapter 32 as well, and then uh, later on in 35, so we can follow along as we go through the story. Let us bow our heads for a prayer. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your love towards us. I pray, Father God, that you completely uh, remove me and completely elevate Jesus Christ at this very moment, so that as he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto you. Thank you, Father, for just your blessings towards us, that we can always see you in the midst of our circumstances and our crises. So I pray now, God, that you speak a word uh, with clarity, with authority, but above all, with love. We thank you, we praise you, and uh, allow that as we would have leave this place when this is all done, 
that we walked away from our screens, that we walk away uh, better people and closer to you than when we first got there. In Jesus' name I do pray, amen. As I mentioned, this is a story that you're familiar with. It's a story of Jacob. So we're just going to kind of uh, go around, skip up around through uh, the chapters. And as we read, uh, we will uh, uh, point out certain points. And at the end, we will sort of gather ourselves again in order to point out uh, the major points. So our story begins in Genesis chapter 1, specifically verse 3. Genesis chapter 1, specifically verse 3. And it says, And the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and uh, to your kindred, and I will be with you. So, quick background. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And Jacob is being asked to return because Jacob had left his home. And the reason he had left his home is because he had into dispute with his uh, twin brother Esau over the inheritance that uh, uh, Jacob essentially swindled. He tricked his way into getting so he runs away, and he's been living with his father-in-law, Laban. He's been married. He now has two wives and uh, two other uh, uh, children, to his, two other mothers to his children. And God is not in a position where God comes to Jacob and say, return. So God is asking Jacob to go back and confront home. Go back and confront the thing that you've been running from for over 20 years. And the fact that God speaks to Jacob is an evidence that even though Jacob had been in a running position, God still had grace and enough of a relationship with him to still be able to go ahead and speak to him. Let's skip down to verse 29, same chapter. And here Laban is speaking to Jacob. He says, it is in my power to do you hurt. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be mindful not to speak to not to speak good or bad to Jacob. So Jacob does leave, but he doesn't leave on the right condition. So Jacob left his home not on good conditions. He's not leaving his uh, the, the home that he had amongst his father, not on good condition. And he's pursuing after Jacob and and they have a moment where there's a dispute. And ultimately, because God had spoken to Laban to say, you will not speak bad to Jacob. You will not touch him. Um, Laban says that. So God is asking Jacob to return. I will be with you. And God is continuing to fulfill the promise to show that I will be with you in this process as I ask you to go and confront the things that you are running from. Verse 44, we're skipping around, right? And verse 44 says, Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, me and you, and let it be for a witness between me and you. This is still Laban speaking to Jacob. So we can see that Jacob is in the process of receiving and, and experiencing the promise that God has made with him. Return. I will be with you. And as Jacob is in the process of returning, we can see God's hand, right, actually fulfilling the word that he gave to Jacob. Then we get to verse, um, verse 1 of chapter 32. 
chapter 32 and verse 1, the very next chapter. And it says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God did what? Met him. Again, this is about the third evidence that God was with Jacob. He spoke to him. He spoke to Laban. Laban makes a covenant to, 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 to sort of honor and respect the, the, the word that God has given him. And now God actually sends angels to come and meet with Jacob. But then when we get to verse 3, we see that it says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And verse 9, it says, And Jacob says, O God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto your country and to your kindred, and I will deal well with you. Deliver me, verse 11, I pray you, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and kill me and the mother and with the children. So we see God comes to speak to Jacob, says, I will be with you. He doesn't just speak, but he actually sends physical evidence of his, of his presence, of his promise being fulfilled. But Jacob, like many of us, still has some traces of fear in him. And Jacob is still trying to handle the situation the way that he's used to. Remember, Jacob is a con artist. He's a trickster. He's a swindler. The way that he gets himself out of the situation is to, is to talk his way out, is to, is to con his way out. So Jacob, even though God is saying, hey, I am placing you in this situation and I have full control of the situation, Jacob is still trying to work his con. So he's thinking in his logical mind, okay, I'm going to send messengers. If you read the account, I know we're skipping around, but if you go and read the verses in between, Jacob they just sent some messengers. The Bible says that he sent a, a troops of messengers, meaning he was sent a few messengers here and a few messages there, that he was sending different waves of messengers. And, and the Bible explains his thinking being, well, if he kills one first group of messenger, then the second group... He's still thinking with his own mind. He's still relying on his own logic, on his own intelligence, on his own way of thinking, which is to be a con artist. Jacob was still afraid despite the several signs and fulfillments of protection that had already occurred. Jacob valued human news over godly news. And I think that in this time that we are experiencing, it is so easy to hear everything that's going on around us and to allow these things to disseminate into our minds and into our hearts and cause us to fear. And sometimes we neglect the things that God himself had said. Jacob had been so used to relying on self, tricking his way out of situations that when he felt he was out of tricks, <laughs> even though God had been fulfilling his promise, he was still afraid. Verse 24, the same chapter 32. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled 
a man with him until the breaking of the day. So we get to a breaking point. Jacob is, is now, Laban is behind him. As far as he knows, his brother Esau and 400 men are before him. He is concerned about his life. He is concerned about the life of his wives and his children, of his company. Jacob separates his company so that he said, well, if, if my brother gets to one side and he kills off that side, I have the other side left. Jacob is trying to maneuver his way out of the situation. And there comes a point in the night, the Bible says, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him. Typically, we say that Jacob wrestled with a man, and, and, and we understand now through, through the study of the word that this man is referring to God, the son of God himself. So, so, so we usually say that Jacob wrestled and he came, but the Bible is saying that the initiation of this wrestling match actually happens by the man, the God. So Jacob was left in solitude. Physical and spiritual solitude. He was afraid. He was vulnerable, both physically and spiritually. Jacob was probably, as he left alone with his own mind, with his own self, no longer being able to run away, no longer being able to escape. Jacob, I'm sure, is confronting his mortality, he's confronting the fate of his family. But most importantly, Jacob is also confronting himself. He has nowhere to run anymore. He is now in the place where it is him, his thoughts, his feelings. He has to confront them. He can no longer run away. Jacob was a confrontation avoider. Jacob's means of dealing with a situation was either to run from it or to find a con to get out of it. Jacob wasn't someone who, who, who was all about conflict resolution. When there was a problem, Jacob wasn't necessarily the type of individual to say, hey, let's sit down and talk about the hard issues. Jacob wasn't necessarily someone to do the work of introspection, of standing in front of the mirror and doing the uncomfortable thing of looking at oneself and being able to acknowledge the thing about oneself that are not so pleasant. That wasn't necessarily Jacob. And God has pressed Jacob now in a place where he has no choice but to do that. So we begin with God saying to Jacob to return. And we understood that God wanted him to go confront home. But the reality was, before he could confront home, Jacob had to confront himself. Sin creates a sense and a need for self-preservation. And self-preservation gives way to the avoidance of things that will reveal to us how sinful we are. 
And how do we know this? The very first time sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, we see that when sin enters the world, when God is coming to reveal himself to humankind, what does humankind do? We run. We went and we hid because we were afraid, because we were naked. We are not wired, you and I, to want to face the reality of how sinful we are. We are not wired in our sinful state, you and I, to want to face the light. That's why God has to shine the light for us because we will never shine it for ourselves. Because we don't want to see into the dark corners or recesses, recesses of ourselves. Verse 25 of chapter 32. And when he, the man, God, saw that he prevailed not against him, Jacob, he, God, touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint and he, as he wrestled with him. Verse 26. And he said, let me go, for the sun is rising, the morning is coming. And he said, Jacob speaking, I will not let you go except you bless me. Jacob, expressing I will not let you go except you bless me, is Jacob saying, I am vulnerable. I am afraid. I am uncertain about the direction of my life. I am out of answers. I am overpowered. And now I am injured, so I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you've assured me that I am hidden under your wings. Not only physically shielded, but also inwardly. I won't let you go until you've replaced my fear with assurance in you. I won't let you go until I am certain that you are the light unto my path. I won't let you go until you've answered my plea. I won't let you go until your strength shines out of my weakness. I won't let you go until you've healed and rehabilitated me. Not my hip, but my soul. Somehow, from the time when Jacob was left alone and the man came and wrestled with him, verse 24 to verse 26, where his hip is now out of joint, somehow, and the morning is coming, in that period of time, there's a transformation that happens in Jacob. Somehow, this wrestling match brings about a realization to Jacob that I can no longer rely on myself. This wrestling match somehow brings a realization to Jacob that I can no longer keep running. Somehow, this, this, this wrestling match brings Jacob to the revelation that I can no longer do this on my own power. Verse 27, and he, God, and Jacob said unto him, what is, well, God speaking, he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Essentially, God is asking him, what is your identity? Because I am going to change it. 
Verse 29, and Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray you, your name. And he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob's relentlessness was rewarded. God surrendered. He yielded in a relational sense, in a merciful sense, in a loving sense. God surrendered to Jacob's faith. God was not brought under physical submission. As a matter of fact, God was pretty much winning, if you will, in some way. If there was some sort of scorecard, if, if at the end of 12 rounds that there, were, there, were, there were scores taken, God would have been victorious because he, even though Jacob had sort of sustained himself and, and was not completely uh, thrown into submission, but he was done more damage. So God was not brought into submission. Jacob did not make God say, uncle. He did not put him in a headlock and say, say uh, no, no, no. God was not defeated. But rather, God acquiesced to Jacob's demand because he was overcome by his faith. This reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood whose touch in faith was enough to gain Jesus' attention. This reminds me of the Roman centurion seeking healing for his servant, that, that, that his faith was so much that God had to pause and say, whoa. I never experienced such faith, even among the children of Israel. The Bible said that God marveled that level of faith that Jacob exposed. Verse 31, and, he said, and as he passed, Jacob over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted, he limped upon his thigh. God left Jacob with a limp, but that limp was on a show of defeat. It was actually a sign of victory. It was a reminder of God-reliance instead of self-reliance. It was a limp of covenant, just as God had asked Abraham to circumcise himself as a sign of covenant. Now we are in chapter 33, in verse 4, and it says, and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they, both Jacob and Esau, wept. Verse 15, and Esau said, let me now leave with you some of the folks that are with me. And he said, what's the use? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. Verse 28, in the days of Isaac, and the days of Isaac were 180 years. And 29, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Jacob and Esau, buried him. So remember, Jacob's big fear is what? That he's going to, uh, going to go back home where his brother and 400 men are waiting for him. And his fear is that he's going to die. But Jacob goes through a transformation in his wrestling match with Christ that leaves not only him changed, <laughs> but somehow his brother seems to have changed as well. Because the brother that he thought was going to kill him when he saw him, that brother ran to him. Ran to him and embraced him and kissed him and they wept together. That same brother who had the 400 men that Jacob thought were going to, uh, to take part and help Esau in killing him and his family. Esau was now offering those men to say, hey, do you guys need some help? 
I have some people with me. Somehow, the transformation that happened in Jacob caused a transformation in his brother? I wonder how many families could be brought back again together. How many broken, strained families could be brought back together if just one person in that family surrenders to God. So now let us make our major points. More than home, God wanted Jacob to, re- to return to confront himself. Jacob wanted deliverance from his brother and father-in-law, but God wanted to deliver Jacob from himself. So the question for us is what have we been running from that this lockdown, this quarantine time has forced us to have to confront? Who have we been running from that this time of confinement has caused us to have to confront? And are we still trying to run? Are we taking the opportunity to confront these things? Point number two, it wasn't the covenant with Laban or the one that Jacob was seeking to try to manipulate into having with Esau that spared Jacob. But it was a covenant that he made with God. Jacob was looking to be saved from physical harm, (laughs) but God wanted to save his soul. So the question for us on this point is, What kind of covenant have you entered with in God during this time? Point number three. I realized during preparation for this message that I had a limited view of what it means to get your affairs in order spiritually. Usually when I would think of the word or I would hear the term, get your affairs in order, I just thought, oh, I, mean, I need to pray more, I need to read my Bible more, uh, I need to be involved more in church if, if need be. I was always looking at it as from the perspective of, okay, these are the uh, spiritual religious practices I need to do to make sure that my affairs are in order spiritually. But I realized through this study that getting your affairs in order spiritually involves the resolution of broken relationships. That getting our affairs in order involves forgiving people that may have done us wrong or seeking the forgiveness of those we have done wrong towards. That getting our affairs in order spiritually includes Restoring the severed relationships. Because God does not only care about our relationship with him, he cares about the relationship that we have with others. Number four, a natural trickster wrestling with God revealed to Jacob, listen to this, that his best trick, remember he's a trickster. He has a bag of tricks. But wrestling with God revealed to Jacob that his best trick was faith. 
It wasn't Jacob's nature, his intelligence, his, his cunning ability that saved him. It was when he surrendered in faith that saved him. Number five, why is God, who is obviously an overwhelming opponent wrestling with the obviously overpowered Jacob, that even after injuring him, he continued to wrestle why did God protect Jacob from the physical harm of Laban and of Esau, but he himself initiates with him in a physical tussle? Well, Jacob's was a conflict of order, as we mentioned earlier. So God used resting as a method first to symbolize that he wasn't just struggling with God, but he was struggling with himself. God wanted to enter a relationship with Jacob. However, he couldn't do so until Jacob admitted his weakness of self-reliance, of deceit, and of trickery. And second, my suggestion is that God wrestled with Jacob because of Genesis 2 and verse 7. And Genesis 2 and verse 7 refers to the creation of man, how God had to get into the dirt and, and put his hand in the dirt and shake man. And as God was getting ready to make Jacob into a new man, to give him a new identity, God had to get his hands dirty. He had to get intimately acquainted and allow Jacob to get intimately acquainted with him. Listen, you know, I grew up as, I say I grew up as a boy. I'm still a boy. I'm still a guy. But, you know, guys, we, we tend to rough house a little bit, but we, we, we wrestle with each other just, just to play around. So growing up, we wrestled with each other a lot. And wrestling with another guy, whether you're just playing playful or not, that's a very intimate place, right? You're all over each other. You're grabbing each other and stuff like that. God is wrestling with you. That is very intimate. And you got to remember and realize that when God is breathing into Adam's nostrils, he has to be very close to him. It's a very intimate place. So as God is, is getting to create this new man in Jacob, he had to get his hands into the plow. He had to get intimate. So what that teaches me, and I hope that teaches you as well, is that our relationship with the mediator can no longer be mediated. Our relationship with the mediator Christ can no longer be mediated, meaning our relationship with Christ can no longer go through a middleman. It can no longer through it can no longer go through just the church. It can no longer just go through brother so and so, sister so and so, or parents or spouse or this. We have to get to a place where our relationship with Christ happens directly. Our relationship with the mediator can no longer mediate it. And maybe this time can teach us that because we can no longer use the church as a crush, as a crutch. We can no longer say, well, the only time I pray, the only time I read the word is when I go to church on Sabbath. It, it, this time is allowing us to realize that we have to have it for ourselves. Point number six, last point. So... What kind of people are we coming back as? In the moral communal sense, what kind of church are we going to come back as? 
Jacob walked away from his wrestling match with God, a new man. He came from Jacob to Israel, and he was able to fulfill the promise and the covenant that God had not only with him, but with his fathers. So in this time of wrestling with God that we are experiencing, how are we going to come out? How am I going to come out? How is this church, this tabernacle going to come out? Are we going to come back the same? Are we going to come back doing, this, doing the same things and dealing with the same issues and brother so-and-so don't get along with brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, we're still arguing about that? Are we going to be like Jacob, allow a transformation to happen through us, through this wrestling match? God surrendered, not in the sense that he gave up or caved in or waved the white flag. God did not lose. Jacob did not defeat him. No, what happened was that Jacob's relentlessness, act of faith, moved God to bless him. As such, God delighted in surrendering because it meant that he could now do the work on Jacob that he truly willed. Therefore, and truly, God's surrender was both the catalyst and the result of Jacob's own surrender. That God would condescend, would bring himself down to wrestle with man to save him is the revelation of his character, of his love, and of the gospel. That he would hear us, accept our plea, and be moved by us, and yield to give us good gifts is the revelation of his grace. Therefore, God's surrender was a victory and it teaches us that in Jesus, victory is actually found in surrender. The surrender of faith to yield to the truth that relying upon self is an unfulfilled life. For God so loved the world that he surrendered his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not surrender his son into the world to come to the world. But that the world through him might be saved. God surrendered to come down. And to look for man in the garden when man surrendered to his own will. Jesus surrendered his life on the cross to save man from his own will. So today, as God has surrendered himself to us, will we surrender to him in faith? Let us pray. Our Father God, we thank you. You say in your word, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Lord, you came to visit Jacob that night. We actually made the trip from heaven to visit him. There are so many other examples when he did the same thing for other individuals. And ultimately, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate visit of salvation when he came and condescended himself to put himself through the things that we as men uh, and women go through so that we can never say, oh, he doesn't know how it feels to. It just shows the length to which you will go to save us. So I pray, God, that just as a transformation had taken place in Jacob, that the transformation will be 
uh, taking place in us, every single one of us, that this time of confinement will not be one uh, where we're still running and we're still escaping or we're still relying on self, that we recognize the need and the necessity to rely upon you. So save us, God, despite ourselves. And as you have surrendered yourself to us, I pray that you will help us to surrender to you in faith. These mercies we do ask, not because we are worthy, but in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have decided to make that surrender this morning, you can contact us at www.tabestia.org and let us know. We will be more than willing to provide all the help you need to build a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank uh, Brother Maxwood for a wonderful word from the Lord this morning. And I hope that you will uh, uh, allow this rustling match that you may be having with God to end in surrender whereby you can give your heart, your soul, your whole being to Jesus Christ and allow him to direct your life today and always. Thank you very much, uh, Max. And we pray that God will continue to bless you um, in everything that you do. I want to thank you for joining us today for our online worship services. We pray that you have been blessed. And just as a reminder, we want to remind you that there will be no AYM this evening, but that you can join us on Wednesday night for our Wednesday night prayer meetings. We definitely want to have your presence there with us. We also encourage you to continue to uh, call in and pray in one another and supporting each other during this period of time when we are away from each other, when the church is not as we're a body that is connected by physical presence, when social distancing seems to keep us apart. We love you, uh, we miss you, and pray that you are all safe and healthy. We want you to have a wonderful and blessed week. May God continue to bless you real good. Thank you for joining us for our worship experience today at Tabernacle. It is our hope and our prayer that you have received a blessing from today's service. If you're watching us on Facebook, remember to follow and like our page. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe so you can join us for future worship experiences. Because when you miss a week, you miss a lot at Tabernacle.